Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. Bridge differences with mediation. Welcome to Video Cam and Audio Cam for Cam Scotland. I'm Scott Doherty and I'm here today with Gary Dirrenfeld, internationally renowned social worker, keynote speaker. Uh, and author of, amongst other things, uh, the wonderful book Raising Kids Without Raising Cain. Welcome, Gary. So good to be with you, Scott. Across such a large pond, no less. <laughs> a small world after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking here today about dealing with issues arising from separation uh, and the importance of choosing the right path uh, in resolving those issues. With CAM Scotland, uh, we advocate, amongst other things, the use of mediation uh, to help separating couples and co-parents move forward uh, and shape their own new lives and the the lives of their children. It's always enlightening when we we look carefully at uh, other jurisdictions to see how conflict has been resolved. And in Canada, uh, Gary, I wonder if you could give me an insight uh, in your experience in separation issues and how they are uh, worked through in Canada? Well, quite frankly, I don't think it's much different uh, between Canada and Scotland where you are. The It seems like the first go-to that people contemplate when um, uh, seeking to resolve dispute as separated parents, the first go-to is court. And in many ways, that is the first go-to because that is the only option they're familiar with not because it's necessarily thought of uh, as the best option. So so I don't think we're any different on this side of the pond than your side. Sure. Well, over here on this side of the pond, uh, we're trying to change the conversation a bit um, and the labels given to methods of conflict resolution. As you know, mediation, for example, has been considered a, a form of alternative dispute resolution, ADR, Um, which suggests, of course, that it's an alternative or a a lesser choice even uh, to the more acceptable route of court. Um, And what we're trying to do here in Scotland is talk about mediation more as a form of ADR, where the A stands for appropriate. Um, And I'm wondering what your your thoughts are about the, the role of court in separation disputes. Well, first of all, um, uh, Scotland... Canada and many other jurisdictions. Actually, I think we have to catch up with Australia because they refer to mediation as primary dispute uh, resolution, which does um, conjure in one's mind that this is the way to go at least first. And um, uh, I I, I like that nomenclature. I like that way of talking about this. Um, In terms of what courts does for people subject to dispute before we even go there, I want to speak to you about your website, oh. the Calm Scotland website, which I had the pleasure of looking through. Sure. And in your discussion of mediation, right off the top, you clearly, um, you clearly discuss that this isn't easy. And I like that because mediation is not easy. Court, on the other hand, at first blush, at first blush only, does look easy. Yes. It looks easy because most people are handing off their problem 
either to their uh, lawyers or if they're self-represented, as many in Canada anyways are, self-represented litigants, they're still handing it off to a third-party decision-maker. Yes. Here's the rub, and, and, and again, while that looks easy to start, here's the rub. Neither the lawyers nor the third-party decision-makers will ever know your situation as intimately as yourself. And in going to the third-party decision-maker, the third-party decision-maker is typically handled what we call a binary view of the problem. Yes. Black, white, good, bad, ugly, pretty. And, and in that, it provides the illusion that, that there is this false dichotomy of alternatives, either or. And the way people go about setting up their argument for the third-party decision-maker, be you self-represented or be it through your lawyers, they set up their, their argument as a kind of race bottom. I have to prove that the other person is less deserving or is a bigger scoundrel so that I get what I consider to be the appropriate piece of the pie. Yes. The rub with that is no one, none of us, wants to be demeaned, shamed, blamed, uh, caused to feel less of a, a person, caused to feel less of a parent. And um, we should naturally expect one to get their defenses up. However, in this arena, and it really is an arena, and the way the game is played in this arena is that as you throw me under the bus, I don't know if this is a, an expression used in Scotland. It is, yes. <laughs> there, there's all these uh, cultural idioms and differences one never knows. But as you throw me under the bus, as you cause me to look bad in the eyes of the third-party decision-maker, I not only have to defend myself but now I have to reciprocate in kind and cause you to look nasty. That escalates the very conflict from which we seek relief. It is the antithesis of what we're looking for. In so doing, it also ramps up our harsh feelings, our anxieties, our worries about the, uh, the future. Let's park all that for a moment. I'm a child of the marriage, and I don't care what age. I'm a child of the marriage, and quite frankly, I can be in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and still be a child of that marriage. As a child of the marriage, and this is true even if you're adopted, by the way, you look up and you say, I am a product of both my parents. And it doesn't matter if it's a heterosexual couple, um, uh, a, a gay or lesbian couple, uh, or whatever. We look up and we say, I'm a product of both parents. <clears throat> I'm half of this one, I'm half of that one. And as soon as one disparages the other, and I catch wind of that, I have to internalize that and say, well, as half of each of you, when one disparages the other, you're telling me that half of me is bad. That's right. Right, from, right from the get-go. You know, we, we, we talk about this, the holy grail of mental health, self-esteem. If right from the get-go, I'm caused to feel half bad about myself, who I am fundamentally as a person, what does that do for self-esteem? And then, of course, the parents reciprocate. 
you think I'm a scoundrel, let me tell you, it's the other person who's the Well, instead of cementing a place in the life of your child, all you demonstrate to your child is now both halves are bad. And so the child internalizes that. And um, are these children who can concentrate at school? Not likely. A friend of mine calls, uh, you must hear a lot about attention deficit disorder, ADD. Yes. A friend of mine uh, locally refers to ADD as attention divided by divorce. <laughs> Another good use of nomenclature, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's brilliant. So these are the children who go to school and who for the weight of the world and their parents' relationship is their world on their shoulders, of course they're not going to concentrate, of course uh, act out aggressively. Uh, alternately, I may be the best student in the school getting at least straight A's because my magical thinking as the child is, if I get straight A's, uh, uh, maybe they'll be happy, and this is the only thing I can control. Sure. But this child is getting those straight A's, they look like a perfectionist, and it's driven by anxiety, not by academic uh, pleasure. Yes. So, so the, these, I'll talk to you in mental health terms, or I'll talk to you in health terms. We talk about something called uh, an iatrogenic effect. An iatrogenic effect in medicine is um, an unwelcome or an un, uh, a, a bad outcome from a well-intentioned intervention. Okay. Uh, so an iatrogenic effect. A negative side effect is another way of saying it much more simply. Court has iatrogenic effects. So so these, these negative outcomes from a well-intentioned act, the well-intentioned act is we're here to help you resolve your dispute. Okay, the the courts aren't entering into this with the view: how can I make your life miserable and your and your children uh, uh, unhealthy? Yes. But it's built in structurally that it that there's this race for the bottom. The kids are subject to the parental upset. The kids internalize that. The kids are not performing as they should at school. All these uh, abdominal iatrogenic effect. Sure. But think, thinking then about how easy it is to uh, think that the court is the answer, um, let's take an example. For, uh, so let's say there's a couple who are separating and they can't communicate without shouting at each other. Um, every time they speak to try and sort things out, they end up fighting. But they have children together um, and they can't agree with where the kids live uh, or how much time the, the kids spend with each other. It, it, you know, if, if, if they can't resolve that um, and they feel that there needs to be a third party to resolve that for them, how, how would you approach that kind of situation? Right. So, so hopefully their lawyers or whoever it is they turn to can speak to them about the folly of court that... Um, in virtually every situation, it will actually exacerbate conflict. Then we point them to your website because it's a very good website for Thanks describing. So much. <laughs> it really is for describing mediation and the process and and what it's about and how to keep it safe and how to screen. But 
we can bring this to parents' attention, and also as it states on your website, which is one of the few that I've seen that does this, is it isn't necessarily easy, but that we can actually help people to enter mediation. We can um, educate and in, in as few as one or two hours, actually train people to make the most out of mediation. Uh, here on this side of the pond, but south of us, I'm in Canada, so in the U.S., fabulous guy by the name of Bill Eddy. Bill Eddy uh, runs an organization that he calls the High Conflict Institute. Yes, I've, I've seen that online, yes. Oh, yeah. He does a fabulous job um, helping explain you know, why people are ramped up and how to help people manage um, what he calls unmanaged emotions amongst other things. So we can we can actually train people to make the most out of mediation uh, so, so that they can be more effective. One of the things that I explain to parents, I'm on um, for the mandatory information program at our courts here in Ontario. Uh, people subject to a court uh, action uh, are compelled to attend this program so they understand the court process and the impact of separation and divorce on themselves and children. And um, uh, so I'm one of the presenters uh, for that. Sure. And oh my God, I've lost my train of thought, Scott. Don't you <laughs> when I, can I self-disclose and say that I'm 60 years of age? <laughs> Too much and viewers like that. We're all born human first. In any event, so, oh yeah, so here's what I explained to them. Um, in terms of a strategy for um, working with approaching your former partner, imagine that you bought something at a department store and uh, it's two days past the date where you can return it. Yet it's unopened. You're not going to use this thing that you've purchased for whatever reasons it isn't right. You have a couple of options. So you go to the return uh, counter, and you can say to the clerk behind the counter, I know you can take this back. You have policies in place, but it, just because it's two days past the return date, you can still do it, and I, you got to do it for me. Sure. Okay? That's, that, that's one way. One way, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can approach uh, the person, the, the clerk behind the counter and say, look, I know it's two days past the due date and uh, you don't have to do a thing for me. However, you know, it is unopened. I'm not going to make use of this. I do shop in your store. If there's anything that you could do for me, I'd be so appreciative. Well, what's the likely outcome of that? Yeah, a bit more positive, yeah. Absolutely. So, so the challenge in this is going from what was an intimate relationship to a to a business relationship and to uh, deep depersonalize um, the situation a bit and remember that if you want something from the other person you have to present yourself as someone to whom someone would want to give to yes yes and we can teach persons who want to enter mediation, we can actually teach those skills so that they can make the most out of it, which is not helping them to state their position, make their claim, argue better. It's all about uh, getting most of this out of the situation, out of the process. Sure. 
To find out how mediation can help you, follow us at Cam Scotland on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus or visit camscotland.co.uk. That's uh, part of the the difficulty in in mediation is depersonalising, of course. Uh, Are are you saying there's, uh, other than mediation, there's other ways you can reframe your your own mind to make mediation a bit more um, positive uh, an experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like what you said, reframe your own mind, reframe the situation. Rather than seeing this person as the enemy, particularly if you're mediating parenting issues, this person who you are vilifying is the very same person that you're going to be connected to for the rest of your life. If you want to have a better relationship, you have to start by relating better. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people, we're, again, we're all born human first, and we all take this attitude, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first. Well, what do we tell children kicking sand in each other's face in the sandbox? Yeah. You yeah. know, you either both go first or at least one of you go first. And it, it doesn't take two people going first, actually, to make it work. It sure. only takes one. Sure. Be the one. Be the one. Yeah. And the interesting thing is being, if you will, nice, being civil takes nothing away from your argument, takes nothing away from what you are pursuing, per se, it just changes the feelings associated with it. Yeah. That lends itself to better outcomes. Sure. Just to give you another example, then, of the type of situation we come across quite commonly, one parent, perfectly civil, um, is refusing to allow the other parent any time with the, the kids. Um, and some might suggest that that situation is ripe to go straight into court. Um, do you agree with that? Uh, your side of the pond, my side of the pond, contact resistance, gatekeeping, uh, a more inflammatory term, alienation. Um, these are situations that are ripe for an escalation. These are the situations that clog our courtroom and make for what we sometimes euphemistically call frequent flyers. Uh, that that form the revolving door of the courtroom. So you can go to court, you can get an order of the court um, compelling um, visitation, access, shared parenting time. Here's one of the other sad outcomes, though, iatrogenic effects of going to court. You go to court, you've each had your race to the bottom, you've proved, I don't want our child to see the other parent because that parent is a scoundrel and the other one argues I'm not a scoundrel the other parent is for withholding the child the court orders something regardless so you have these two parents one of whom will go (laughs) the other parent will go I don't like it the parent who goes yahoo thinks the issue is resolved. Boy, are they wrong. The one who went boo-hoo has just painted a huge target (laughs) on the one who went yahoo. I'm watching you. I'm surveilling you. 
I'm waiting for you to mess up because as soon as you do, I'm marching that back to undo my view of a wrong. So while we have the illusion that court resolves these conflicts, in actual fact, it perpetuates them. So this is not a, a good outcome. Sure. As best as possible, I like to see these things moved outside of court. Uh, there's the concept of the parenting coordinator. Uh, there's the mediator. There are clinical um, interventions. These are all relationship issues. You know, I tell people that outside of court, you know, if, if part of your issue uh, in terms of uh, the children seeing the other parent, if there's a concern of that parent's deportment, uh, drugs or alcohol, um, ability to parent. Courts can't affect changes in those areas. Um, however, outside of court, we can make that part of any plan. Yeah. How are we going to resolve this? Now, it, again, you go to court, I have to deny I have these problems. If I don't deny them, I'm not going to see my kids. Yeah, yeah. So, so... So, of course, I'm going to be defensive. Yeah. And what does that resolve? Outside of court, I tell people, you know, acknowledge your shortcomings because then we can deal with them. Sure. I suppose the, the difficulty, though, is it's easy for us to say objectively that this is what should happen. When you're in the moment uh, and you're experiencing that dispute, it's possibly more difficult to appreciate that mediation, counselling and third-party assistance would be the, the best way to go. You mentioned before about um, possibly possible mandatory uh, information sessions and we have that uh, not in Scotland but uh, down in England and Wales. Um, but then people would argue, well, you know, am I being forced into mediation and would I come to, to mediation with the, the correct attitude? But what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, in these mandatory information uh, meetings, programs, presentations, no one's being forced into anything. They are uh, being educated with respect to a range of alternatives. When I do talk at our mandatory information program, I explain to them that um, mediation doesn't have to be successful. Mediation doesn't have to at least be 100% successful. In fact, if you go into mediation with uh, 10 or 20 issues of dispute and you resolve one, one out of 10 or 20, or nine out of 10 or 20, or 19 out of 20, you're that much further ahead than had you not entered in the first place. It's, it's actually um, uncommon that something doesn't get resolved. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that, that mediation is the be-all, end-all. It resolves everything. For a good many cases, it does. I know that. You know that. Sure. But in terms of leading that horse to water so that hopefully they drink, <laughs> uh, for them to appreciate it doesn't have to resolve it, everything in order to still be beneficial. Yeah, yeah, that's right. At the very least, it's beneficial for them to have the information in the first place. That there is that option. You know, what people don't realize, uh, and I'm sure it's the same where you are is here, greater than 90% of court actions actually settle before trial. 
Well, and how do they settle? They show up at the courtroom, and the judge has them step outside to the ante room and says, uh, you, you guys take a few minutes, see if you can figure this out. Now, very often that's through a bit of shuttle diplomacy through the lawyers. Yes. But here in Ontario, we have mediators available at every courthouse. So, so you can avail yourself of a mediator on any day that you are showing up for a court uh, um, activity. Yes. That's fantastic. So it's never too late. <laughs> it, 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 it's never too late. And sometimes if you, if you have a sip of, of the wine, uh, is, you know what? Uh, like your website says, not easy, but I prefer this outcome. Let, let's talk for a minute why we want people to go to mediation, though, as opposed to court. So, first of all, with court, when we have a judgment, or with arbitration, when we have an arbitrator's ruling, um, the likelihood of people following through with that. Think about it. You just got the crap end of the stick. I'm watching my language here. <laughs> you just got the crap end of the stick. No one likes the dirty end of the stick. So when you get the dirty end of the stick, how do you feel about the settlement? What is your likelihood of following through wholeheartedly? So instead of picking up the children at six, you'll show up at a quarter to six and start hanging, you know, beeping the, uh, the, the horn. Or you'll, you'll show up at 6.30 just in order to, you know, ah, I got there, but, you know, <laughs> you made my life miserable. I don't like the outcome. I'm going to make your life miserable. So, so court-imposed outcomes, they're not followed uh, as well as mediated outcomes. And they are more subject to deterioration, breaking down, and return to court. Yes. Mediated outcomes tend to be more durable and longer lasting. Why? Because I entered into this voluntarily. Yes. It wasn't imposed. I have some sense that I own the outcome, good or bad. And the interesting thing is, people don't need to like the agreement that they achieve in mediation. They only have to agree to live with it. Yes. And it's that's easier to, to live with something you've composed yourself, yeah. That's right. It's the plug your nose, move forward agreement. And with that, you have certainty as to the outcome. With court, there's no certainty. And you could have provided the best case ever you don't know how that judge woke up that morning <laughs> well, and what issues there may be on that person's mind who is now trying your case. Sure. In mediation, you retain control. You do not have to uh, submit to anything. So, so again, even though you may not love the outcome, but you can choose to live with it, you have certainty you have a resolution, and the likelihood of it, of it being maintained is greater than going to court. No guarantee that it's going to be maintained, but that's still greater than going to court. Sure, sure. So what would you be your takeaway message then for parents and separated parents um, thinking about going to court then uh, to resolve their separation issues? Oh, I, you know what? Uh, avoid court like the plague. Uh, 
I, then, you know, this isn't legal advice. I can't, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. But I can give social work advice because I am a social worker. And so if you want a better uh, social outcome for your children, for yourselves, avoid court like the plague. It's built in structurally to escalate conflict. And, and I'm not disparaging the lawyers or the courts. That's, that's the nature of uh, how issues get resolved in the process. If you go to mediation, however, although it can be emotionally challenging, you know, we don't deny that, but at least you retain control of the outcome. You're not going to agree to something that, that fundamentally you're not going to agree to. Once you've achieved an agreement, you're not locked in instantaneously. You can then take that agreement to a lawyer for that second sober thought to say, have I sold the farm? Is it reasonable? Have we dotted our I's and crossed our T's? Now, having said that, when people do go for that independent legal advice on the, the tentative agreement that, that was um, achieved, Scott, I suggest that they go to persons who have also been trained, uh, lawyers who have also been trained in collaborative family law. Yes. My, my rationale for that is that these are lawyers who are not seeking to ratchet up your conflict. Who, who will understand and appreciate that he or she, the lawyer, may not fully understand why you agreed to something, but can respect that you know the intricacies of your life, yes. and that if you agree to it, there must be a good reason. So they'll have that as a respectful dialogue with you to try and uncover, you know, why did you agree to this? Versus going to a litigator, what? You agreed to that? <laughs> already um, how or who we obtain legal advice from can also set the tone for what may transpire so collaborative uh, family law lawyers uh, are trained to try and mitigate conflict and that's very important when you're reviewing a mediated agreement sure well, that's brilliant, Gary. Uh, thanks very much for your time. I'm sure you've given those watching some great deal of uh, food for thought, or water to drink, uh, as you referred to earlier. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks uh, again for uh, to those that are watching as well. You've been watching Video Cam and Audio Cam. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube uh, or iTunes uh, to see uh, and listen to more interviews on mediation and separation. So until next time, thanks for watching. You've been listening to Audio Cam with Cam Scotland. For more interviews and links to our mediators, subscribe on iTunes and thanks for listening.